For November 8th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 123. That's one, two, three. Frotterage. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From uh, one hour in the past... Because Daylight Savings Time ended today. I am your host on the left coast, Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink all manner of things, beginning uh, with the question of the week. Now, tomorrow, Conan O'Brien brings his late night show to TBS, and it's been rumored that full episodes of the show will be available on the internet. So Conan is coming to the place where overthinking it has been for nearly three years now, and where the overthinking it podcast has been for over two weeks of, uh, two years of our weekly episodes. So um, we'd like to share uh, the wealth, our wealth of experience and knowledge with Conan O'Brien. And so the question of the week is, what advice do you have for uh, Conan O'Brien now that he's finally on the internet? Uh, Beginning the panel, it's Pete Fenzel. Hey! Hey! What up? What up? I'm not allowed to say that. Every time John is not on the podcast, I want to do his what up, what up, what up entry line just to to make sure that it's spoken for. Um, No, no. uh, So, okay. So here is my advice to Conan O'Brien. And and if you're playing the drinking game, you actually, you have to drink during the whole what up, what up, what up line. So, you you know, when he says it's slow, it it Uh, really, you know, tortures you like, what? What? Uh, It's responsible for three pregnancies every year that absolutely <laughs> i think there might be i think that that actually might be a correlation and not causation thing going on yeah. there dave you know <laughs> I, I, i've got mathematician friends i can get on this pete don't force All me right. so, so can john he's the ladies man yeah uh, <laughs> that's why there's three pregnancies exactly Kapow, galileo all right uh, that's actually not what that song says. sorry pete so, so my, so my advice to Conan is the same advice that I say to the overthinking it writers whenever they get all worried about the people who are making comments on our comment threads, which is that if people on the internet are not yelling at you, you are doing something wrong. Uh, and I would reinforce this to Conan and say, uh, in particular, if there are legitimate media outlets that are telling him that what he's doing is incorrect and terrible, he should take that as a sign that what he's doing is correct. Because his task, uh, primarily in his new time slot, I believe, under his new network, his first task is to get attention, right? And and his moving to TBS upsets the established order in certain ways and people's expectations in certain ways. And so he can expect people to react negatively to change. If they are reacting negatively, it does mean that they are being changed. So I would say to Conan, if you start seeing, oh, there's an article in The Atlantic that says I'm an idiot, uh, I would take that as a positive. Uh, and if there are a lot of people trolling all over the internet being like, oh, this is ridiculous and terrible, I would also take that uh, as a positive. Now, not as an unqualified positive. You also should pay attention to exactly what they're saying. Um, uh, but also just you know, be more scared if people say nothing than if people give you a lot of guff and negativity. Because also keep in mind when somebody insults you, they are drawing attention to themselves uh, at your expense. right? So it's, it's more like they think that you have this wellspring of extra attention that they can mooch off of and draw off of and like steal your spotlight. So that shows that people respect you and they think that you're worthy of being watched if they curse you out. Like more people are going to say nasty things about Lindsay Lohan than they would about uh, uh, like Jordana Brewster these days, for example, who is not a big star uh, anymore, I guess. Even though she used to be. Uh, I only pulled her out of a hat because uh, uh, for we took several classes with her, right? Yeah, and uh, but I, no, I shouldn't say anything mean about her, but also because uh, somebody name checked the faculty during the John Stewart rally a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to reinforce that that movie is awesome. So there you go. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry Jordana Brewster, don't mean to be rude. I'm just saying that, like, I mean, you know, I. I I too don't want to say anything mean about her, but uh, she is a known um, neo-Nazi. No, 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 Dave. You're no, con- back. Wait, she, she, she dated Derek Jeter. It's not, oh, yeah. she's, you, no, know, it's, I, you know, I argue, I argue to, to distinguish between those two facts. Yeah, Dave and I are both in Greater Boston, and and in here, those two things are roughly equivalent. Bean Town. So. <laughs> hey, so that's the, those are the dulcet tones of David Schechner. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Hello, hello, hello. I am delighted to be here. From uh, from lovely Cambridge, Massachusetts. From Cambridge, Massachusetts, where you're doing the science, where you are. I'm, do- a, I'm doing uh, the stem cell science right a, now. A real life scientist. Ooh, do you get to murder the babies? 
oh God, I wish. I mean, you gotta be, you, you gotta clock in a couple of hours before they let you do that. Yeah, you have to have tenure, right? You have to at I mean, least it, be ladder <laughs> faculty before they let you murder. Would apply the tenured professors do any work of any sort? No, 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 no. No, I mean, I just want the the baby access because I've got this like just killer mozza recipe, and it's really hard to get. Speaking of neo Nazis, Lachaim, Dave, what is your advice for Cohen and Brian? Okay, wait. So is it is it my turn for advice for yes? Okay, good. Okay, so um, you know, I thought Pete's advice was very well founded, very thought out, and um, you know, as a counter to that, I'm gonna have nothing but snarkiness. I'm gonna argue for Conan because I know he's new to the internet and all that. Um, that apparently, uh, if you're using a Logitech headset, you should not simultaneously be plugged into uh, an unisolated wall. <laughs> and I'll demonstrate what happens if you are. So, can can you hear? Um, is the hum coming on now? Yeah, it was coming on yeah. before a little bit. Yeah. There we go. So here, here's there's there's science for you. We're doing the experiment. Uh, you'll get a low frequency hum. Uh, you'll think that I don't know. Maybe Andy Richter is trying to get back on your stash again. It's, huh. Anyway, so avoid that. Um, and also, uh, don't go swimming until thirty minutes after you've eaten. <laughs> it's very important. You get cramps, and it's not a good situation. No one wants that. I mean, it's yeah. just it's just horrific. Especially if you're in the ocean. I mean, if you're in a pool, I can understand maybe being a little bit more, uh, like, you know, risk tolerant. Yeah, but, uh, but, but come on. I mean, like, you're going to get the cramp one way or another, right? And then, like, yeah. later on, after recounting the story of how, like, you know, a bunch of EMTs had to save your ass, do you want to say, well, I was in three feet of water in my kiddie pool? Or do you want to say, like, I was being, you know, chased down by a bunch of mako sharks in the, in the Pacific? I think the solution is just put mako sharks in your pool, and then uh, it's a win-win. Done that's what done. synergy that is called synergy it's called <laughs> leveraging you know that, that's like there's so many times where you're like in, in a in the contemporary world of knowledge workers it's like yay let's take these two ideas that are good in their individual context and put them together next to each other without accounting for their essential differences let's put mako sharks in the pool and then we'll be as awesome as the ocean we're it's called it's called uh, repurposing and leveraging it's it's good stuff definitely excellent repurposing and leveraging the two less popular supercomputers in the cartoon gem <laughs> Synergy definitely being like the front runner there. Ah, nice. There you go. That's a deep cut. That's a very deep cut. <laughs> there was it was it was a slow walk around the barn to get to the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> Spectacular. Absolutely. Well, I, I I guess I'm the only misfit left to go. Oh wow! Yeah, we got a, we got a skeleton crew. We are oh, wow. uh, we've separated the saucer section here at Overthinking. It. We're in the battle bridge. We're on the, the battle port. bridge, <laughs> which is like the bridge but lamer. Exactly. <laughs> At least it's not as lame as that room with the wheel in it from Star Trek V, which is also the awesomest room. But uh, that's where we sort of reach the boundary of finite and unbounded space, where we sort of loop back upon ourselves. Um, but anyway. Here's my, uh, here's my advice, and it's a little more serious, and I want to use it to talk about the talk show format a little bit. My advice is this, Conan. Don't do pre-interviews. Do what we do on uh, – when you see um, – th- that is to say when you see a uh, talk show, what the host and the guest talk about has been all but negotiated point by point in advance between a, uh, you know, a talent coordinator for the show and the star's publicist, right? And so it's this – so I hear you uh, wore something interesting for Halloween this year. You know what I mean? Everything is canned. There's no real – uh, conversation that happens on these shows. I say, Conan, as a veteran now of uh, internet media creation, uh, do what overthinking it does. Just kind of show up and see what's on your mind that day. Or, or what Andy Kaufman did in 1984. You know, yeah. whatever. The um, you know, I listened to uh, I listened to the Adam Carolla podcast, uh, the Adam Carolla show, and I realize I probably have to give back my Ivy League degree when I say that. But uh, why? Why would you have to do that? Adam Carolla <laughs> yeah. is a very smart fellow. I think he is. I think he's an extremely smart fellow, and uh, and, not- and just like if you want to talk about it, like the velvety soft tones, of a beautiful man. <laughs> Adam Carolla, the Adam Carolla podcast. No, I mean, I remember when we were in high school and people listened to his radio show, he knew all sorts of things that we didn't know, like the names of various sexual acts. Sexual acts, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, um, 
Um, no, he's, he's <laughs> which states in, in which they are legal? He's always yeah. going on about uh, on his podcast about how he doesn't have uh, any education, how he dropped out of a two year college, and things like this. But I think that like that points up the the difference between uh, education and being smart, and how there are there are many many people, and we know many of them who have a uh, a pretty fancy education who are just not smart, you know, and who are uh, not interesting at all. But I think Adam Carolla is a uh, is a super. I, I just need a paperclip, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make a joke about my sort of semi-fictional, trumped-up, uh, like rivalry with Mark Lee on the podcast. But Mark Lee is very smart, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I've, yeah, I don't know if you've been on the podcast enough, Dave, to know that sometimes I just like pick fights with Mark for no reason because I think it's good entertainment. And he kind of, I get a little <laughs> bit of pleasure out of how confused he gets at it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not Actually, trying I'm, to be mean. I'm, I'm just well, trying. Like, to, he, I mean, he gets confused I, I at it. Too, I thought you said I he was. Sort of, Oh, smart. go ahead. I'm sorry. I, how confused can he be if he's really all that smart? Uh, <laughs> fair enough. See, now you're well doing played. it. <laughs> now you're doing it. Anyway, anyway. We um, miss you, Mark. Feel better. Mark is sick. Definitely. Mark is out sick on sick. Seriously, if we do, all kidding aside, don't joke about people when they're sick. And if you we want, want to, uh, if you want to uh, email him condolences, you can reach him at lee at overthinkingit.com. Let's, let's, yeah. let's not email him condolences. Let's maybe, you know, words of support. <laughs> Yeah, why would you give a condolence? Yeah, because you're sick and it's. If you'd like to contact Mark's next of kin, um, like consolation, perhaps, or something like consoling. Not condolence. If you want that consult- word, am I am I wrong about that word? Does that word not mean essentially uh, uh, sorrowful consolation or commiseration? Go to the internet. We're going to get a definition. <laughs> I'm going Absolutely. to Merriam-Webster at mw.com. Which I is, can't. Uh, I'm not going to go anywhere, but I'm going to make a bunch of clacky noises on my keyboard. Condolence, like- sympathy with another in sorrow or an expression expression of sympathy. There you go. It just means so sympathy. Right. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. But it's, it's, it's your, I think it implies I mean, the, the idiomatic usage that. of the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that it's is that the person is. Dead. Mark Lee is not dead. No, he has just been converted into a robot who will inexorably <laughs> march forward chasing after anybody named Sarah Connor that happens to, he happens to come across. I was actually going to go with that. He has been uh, moved to a farm upstate where he can play with other Mark Lees. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, anyway. Fair enough. Fair enough for what? If it's fair enough, what exactly is it fair enough for? What is, it, what is the standard by which you judge fairness? Whereby that, that is fair enough. I consider it to be a natural law. That uh, you see, the way that it works is uh, the overall fairness of the universe is is zero. It's a field oh, wow. with a zero value at its lowest potential energy, wow. which means I mean, that. Uh, <laughs> but, but what coordinate system are you using here, Pete? I mean, a change of basis factor will put you in an. It has ten system. dimensions. It in an all. Five, there are nine dimensions. There are ten. There are ten dimensions. Are we counting time or not? Because we're we're losing. We're wasting. It profusely. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> this, this is our second up. weakest string theory themed podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been reading this Brian Green book, The Fabric of the Cosmos, and like every other joke I make is about like quantum physics or string theory, as told by somebody with like no formal education in either of those things. So uh, year that we live together, Pete. <laughs> Why does this happen? Well, that's not, your educations are very informal, Dave. <laughs> as yeah, I can true. attest to them, uh, and I, I have to say, I learned a heck of a lot from our kitchen whiteboard, and that was a really wonderful exercise dave is a is great scientist to hang out with because he just like over the course of conversation just like teaches you all sorts of crazy stuff about science which you learn and is awesome i'm pedantic uh, i like to talk about myself yeah definitely those two and things my- are not the same but they're close yeah so <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> i feel like we should push on from this Oh, I think right. we should. I wanted to give actually, this is a good transition because the topic that we wanted to talk about today is very closely related to what we're talking about right now, uh, and actually, it's very close to the sort of semantics at the heart of overthinking it. Right, the the sort of meaning of the word. Um, right? Do you want to carry this, or should should I? What you go. You've seen, okay. You picked so, it up. So we were we were going to talk uh, about the movie Megamind, except we didn't see the movie Megamind. Uh, well, I don't so, understand why we should let that stop us. Yeah, well, it's, it's that's never, never stopped, stopped us before. before. Exactly. <laughs> <Exactly>. Jinx. <laughs> uh, David, David Schechner. Uh, no, sorry, David Felonius Schechner. There you yeah, go. I was, I, I was uh, deeply worried about getting punched in the shoulder. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, doorknob. Oh, never mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so uh, looking at the sort of – so our experience with the movie Megamind is largely through the marketing materials. And the marketing materials of Megamind, although judging from the plot summaries I've read, they don't exactly reflect the movie itself, show a juxtaposition of a character with a giant brain and a very skinny body and a character who is like very strong with like a square jaw and lots of muscles. And, and the idea in this case is the brainiac is the villain and he has to become the hero because he sort of flips the script on himself. It's one of those like evil can't exist without good. So when the good is gone, the evil needs to take over kind of thing. But, but more immediately like, – Like the episode of the Smurfs when Gargamel finally catches them. Exactly. When Gargamel eats all the Smurfs and then he no, realizes no, no, no. his life has no purpose. What? Oh, no. What happened? No, no, no. He, he, this, this actually – this is like my favorite Smurfs episode. Like he oh. catches them. He and actually catches them and he brings them back to their lair. Yeah. And I, I, like either Papa Smurf or I think it might have even been Brainy basically steps out and puts forth the argument that like Gargamel's sole purpose for existing is to catch the Smurfs, not mm-hmm. to have had caught the Smurfs. Like it, uh-huh. it, is, it is the journey and not the destination that's important. Therefore, were he to like follow through with this plan, which is either to eat them or to convert them to gold, depending right. upon like which season you're in, yeah. um, like you know, he'd have nothing else to live for. His life would be completely meaningless. So he has to let them go so that he can continue to chase them. And he totally buys it and agrees and lets them go. Which is like one of the only times that Brainy's like advice is attended to by anybody, right? Yeah, like, true. like Gargamel's so, the only person who listens to Brainy Smurf, which is a, which is telling and related to what we're talking about. When right? will those two get together? When are they gonna? Have you read the GargaBrainyFiction dot com? <laughs> Like, Reddit. It's, called, it's called Azrael's Azrael's Den. Azrael's uh, Vault. <laughs> Azrael's Vault is where you you read erotic Smurf slash fiction. Uh, no um, way to plug our sister site. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember when when we gave them the key to the city. Uh, anyway, um, so Megamind shows us a super brainy character and a super brawny character, and the super brawny character everybody likes, and the super brainy character nobody likes, and he's kind of a jerk. And this reminded me of the juxtaposition of uh, the Hulk and the leader. Right in Marvel Comics, uh, for those everybody's familiar with the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. I mean, if you're not, then you know it's pretty easy to explain. It's a he's sort of like a werewolf, but instead of turning into werewolf, he sort of turns in he turns into an ogre of some sort, and so he gets angry. And instead of the moon, it's his emotions. He gets angry. Well, I, I, to a big I like how, like, when when you went to explain the Hulk to a Hulk neophyte. You assume that that neophyte was from like the mid 18th century. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's like he's sort a of like He's kind of yeah. like a golem character, but you know, there's no you don't need lightning. Um, right, 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 know, right, right, right. Garlic right. is useless against him. Right, right, right. I mean, he's like a Turbo Teen character. <laughs> Instead of turning into a motorcycle, he, he turns into art. a steroid addict. What? Uh. Am, am I alone in thinking that Turbo Teen is like the greatest symbol for like 80s consumer culture uh, that's ever Oh, existed? probably. Uh, yeah, because it was just like – because it's like people like X, people like Y, like buy both of them together. For those of you who actually aren't familiar with Turbo Teen, which is probably a larger <laughs> subset of our listenership, the people who aren't familiar with the Hulk, Turbo Teen was a kid on a motorcycle – who went down a hill and crashed into a secret government laboratory during a lightning storm and was hit by some sort of confluence of unlikely energies such that he developed the ability to transform back and forth into a hot rod car. Or he was on a motorcycle. He was in his car when he did it. Yeah, so he, 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 yeah, into a Ferrari. So he's like a child who transforms into a Ferrari, which is, this, is incredibly this is Blinky's useful. favorite things too because what always yeah. freaks Blinky out about this is that after he turns into a Ferrari – um, his friends like jump inside the car and drive around in him. So they're like like <laughs> getting inside him and driving around inside their friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is definitely you know, like there's a lot of like body exploration stuff going on. Exactly. Like it's definitely like it's definitely like sort of of the same ilk as some of the dirtier games that you play at sleepover parties. Yeah, dri- dri- um, driving around inside your friend is a wonderful natural phenomenon. <laughs> Our Look, bodies, ourselves, are catalytic converters. Look, no. No, no. Beings in general are not either teenagers or Ferraris. They exist on a continuum between these things. <laughs> Didn't you guys listen to Turbo Kinsey back when he came up with his famous uh, his famous survey to this effect? The uh, the the Ferraro continuum. Yeah, the, the um, Turbo Kinsey report. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so, so getting back to what we were talking about is that the Incredible Hulk is a big brawny dude, and he, um, he does have villains. Now, generally speaking, the Hulk doesn't really need a villain because he causes problems wherever he goes, so, and nobody likes him because he breaks stuff. Um, but, so it doesn't require a villain. Um, but he, he doesn't his like, own villain, right? It's, it's his own inner demons that he fights. Exactly. It's his own inner demons or the police. Like any situation the Hulk is in, it's not hard to find somebody who would be displeased with what is going on uh, as opposed to like you say like Elasto Man or whatever. 
Pepper, where it's like, oh no, it's Captain Rigid, and we need to fight him. Uh, <laughs> there's no such thing as Lasto Man. There's Plastic Man, uh, which I'm is positive. Like, there's also uh, something called Captain Rigid, but not within the Hulk universe. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, like so. So Plastic Man is like is like uh, he's like a cross between Mister Fantastic and the Noid, right? Because he's got this sort of like. <laughs> Vapidity, and I think he has sunglasses, but I'm not sure. No, he doesn't have sunglasses, but he has a mask. They're goggles. Plastic Man's got goggles. <laughs> okay, okay. He's, he's sort of like bizarrely steampunk from the nose bridge up. <laughs> this is the worst segue ever. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> okay, so the Hulk, his, he's a giant, and he's very strong, and he's the hero. And then he has a villain who doesn't really show up in a lot of the properties outside of the comic books and some of the cartoons named the leader, who the same thing happened to the leader, sort of. And the leader has a giant head instead of giant muscles. And the leader is very smart and can use his brain to control people. He uses uh, like telepathy and mind control a lot. Right, which when you look at Megamind, I you know he's very clearly modeled after the leader to an extent as a villain. Like and the leader's been yeah. around since the sixties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got a big brain and and he's like skinny and he's like sort of mean spirited, pointy chin. The character design is very similar. The leader is green and Megamind is blue and Megamind is tall and the leader is short. Right. Um, but other than that, there's this sort of set. and the character design leads to certain similar traits like insecurity, which seem to from what little I've read characterize Megamind in his sort of like quest to overcompensate for for being jealous of other people. Um, and Dave and I brought this up in particular because Dave, uh, apparently he's informed me he used to cop this rant from somebody else, but used to talk a lot about the Hulk and the leader and what they meant, uh, to people, um, to, to children, uh, when we used to yeah, talk well, and bandy about superheroes. Like really, really to like the core target demographic of people who were reading comic books around the time that the leader would have been a big deal, you know, right, right, the right, mid sixties. Right. right. And, yeah. and this is, this is completely cribbed from, from Laura Fitzgerald Schoenberg, now editor at Wired once upon a time, the, you know, the basic sole contributor to brunching shuttlecocks, which is um, a wonderful, wonderful site. If you have never encountered yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Please yeah, go definitely. and enjoy. Um, yeah, no, the, the thing is, like, it, I guess the question is, like, is this the message you really want to sell to, um, you know, socially awkward, uh, prepubescent teenage boys that are probably kind of nerdy themselves? That, like, probably the most evil thing that you can be is this, like, highly intelligent, slightly insecure guy um, who's, you know, placed in a sort of fringe position in society. Um, and... You know his nemesis, who will of course constantly defeat him, much to his chagrin and you know physical trauma. Uh, this brutish, uh, incredibly athletically gifted, although <laughs> completely mindless, uh, you know ogre. Right? Is is this really what you want to tell these children who are reading this comic book? Like basically yeah. watch themselves get destroyed by uh, effectively a jock, a bunch of jocks. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's it's like yeah, the Hulk beats up the leader, and it's like the reader of the comic book is getting beaten up by the people in his life who he hates. And perhaps um, it's like it's not surprising the leader, you know, even within like the Hulk universe is never. I mean, he's he shows up on like the top ten list of like Hulk villains, but he's never you know at the top. Yeah, like, but like he's going to be with, like who's going to be up there like the Rhino? Like who the heck is going to be on the list of Hulk villains? The Hulk villains are terrible. <laughs> the Human Tornado or whatever. I don't know. Like, isn't there? There's like a Mister Freeze type character that's a bit. Or you know, I think I'm confused. Well, the, the, the Absorbing Man, maybe. Uh, I mean, the Absorbing yeah. Man is used in the first Hulk, the Ang Lee Hulk movie, not the first Hulk movie. The Ang Lee Hulk movie has has like uses the characteristics of the Absorbing Man, who is able to take on the different elements. But the Absorbing Man is pretty pretty silly as a character. He has oh, that yeah. ball and chain that he uses to wrap around people, and it's like. All right, fair enough. Um, but yeah, but I wanted to think about this because it seems to me like this is definitely a a uh, a, a dialectic, right? A, a dichotomy, I guess. I guess it is a dialectic uh, that exists um, where you have the sort of sniveling, overbrainy person on the one side and the sort of sympathetic, muscular person on the other side. And it is constantly being presented to people who are much closer to the brainy person than the athletic person as like the good and the bad, right? Um, and and so Megamind yeah, is you know another it's the, uh, the inverted revenge of the nerds, if you will. Yeah, well, the other it, thing, the thing, the interesting thing about it is that the revenge of the nerds. If you watch Revenge of the Nerds, with the possible, with the exception of like one or two of them, the nerds are in fairly good shape, right? Like they're they're not like uh, emotionally, like, no, no, God, no, physically, no. like physically, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Like like I mean they, I mean they're not like um, they're not 
obese like booger is right i mean there's one other but like in general they're even booger he's got like a little a little punch but he's not morbid yeah 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 but no but i know what you mean like it is they're they are portrayed as physically weak next to the you know the actual ogre ogre and uh and the other alpha betas including the guy from married with children uh who's in that right yeah which is awesome um the, the next door neighbor right yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. So, and I was thinking about this a lot uh, uh, since we came up with this idea about 20 minutes ago. And, um, and I wanted to say, of course, that, like, you know, in practice, this is not how it plays out. Like, it, maybe you see some of this in, in like, younger t- years in school, like, maybe, where the smart people are not physically gifted and the stupid people are physically gifted and everybody loves the stupid people and nobody likes the smart people, right? But, but I think that that is often sort of like a developmental thing as well, where different people are maturing in different ways at different rates and, and latching on different things at different times. Like, I think especially as you get older and things even out, like, you see a fair amount of correlation between people who are pretty smart and people who are in pretty good shape sometimes, right? Like, um, like, 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 I'm trying to think of, like um, – like other mega minds, you know. Like well, I, uh, I, I will say, like you know, I'm I'm a professional scientist. I, I spend most of my time hanging around professional scientists, and there are very few of them who are, you know, like morbidly obese. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like, like because yeah, to be clearly thinking, you have to take care of yourself, right? Yeah, it's interesting that you went with like the the personal um, personal development tack on this because there's still the issue of social acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I also think does tend to even out at least within our lifetimes as we've grown older. You know, I look around and society tends to, to a slightly higher degree, venerate the nerd. You know, the nerds brought us iPads, so we, we have to like them. We have to begrudgingly like the nerds because of their iPad forging skills. Right, right, um, right, right. Whereas, you know, 25 years ago, there wasn't really – I feel like nerds who were successful needed to closet their nerdishness. Um, right. And, and, you know, Don sort of an outward veneer of, of jockishness. You know, like the, the, yeah. the, the billion dollar – the billion – dollar making nerds were were wall street guys who needed to don that whole air yeah um yeah whereas you can be an unabashed nerd now and still have some semblance of coolness yeah i mean one of the uh the, but I'm told yeah, you yeah. So one of the one of the avenues in which I've been seeing this a lot lately is, of course, as I've mentioned on the podcast a couple times, I've started getting a little bit into playing StarCraft recently. And uh, the StarCraft scene in Korea is, of course, huge. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know this, you know this video game, this computer game, StarCraft, is this huge this phenomenon is the in Korea. Original StarCraft in Korea. Uh, yeah, but no, the StarCraft Two just came out though. Right, right, right. But up, summer, yeah. I mean, up until the release of StarCraft Two, they were still playing StarCraft One yeah, for like thirteen years. It was like, and it's millions yeah. of people. Like, it's it's Multiple literally television like television channels, right? Yeah, like whole television channels, like and not like G Four like imaginary television channels, like real television <laughs> channels. Like, like they did run, you know, reruns of Cops too. Come on, yeah. <laughs> like the, like in Korea. <laughs> like there's a running gag. There's this Korean. There's this Korean player who goes by the name of uh, Boxer. Uh, I think Lin Ho Hwan might be his name. If I, pro- I forgive if I pronounce it incorrectly, but he's like married to an older actress, and there's like comments where he's like Ashton, and she's like Demi Moore, and like, and like, so you know, there's people you know with celebrities and their big deal, and they make you know six figure incomes and all this other stuff, uh, and they play in these big tournaments for hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizes in the long run. Um, so, uh, but I was watching some interviews with one of them, and one of the things that's really consistent across all the interviews is they all work out a lot. Right, like they, their job is it requires them to play this video game eight to twelve hours a day, every day. Um, they get very, they are the teams that recruit these people, and they register with the government that these people are being recruited to be professional video game players. They train physically, like every day. Uh, they are they are in very good physical condition. Uh, they they would not be able to play the game to the best of their ability were they not in good physical condition. Uh, I saw an interview with a guy who goes by the name of Torch, who's an American uh, North American player, and he was talking about how he runs every day. Right and like uh, I think some of the best American players who win Korea and the best uh, commentators actually work out together with each other. And uh, have you can sort of actually see this by the sort of oft-publicized and, and semi-frequent, um, you know, severe injuries or deaths of sort of casual players who just try and who try and make it in the big leagues. You know, they, they, they try <laughs> and, and and they'll go down to like the the peachy bongs, these sort of like internet cafes in yeah. uh, in Seoul. And like pull a fourteen fifteen hour Starcraft run, and will end up you know blowing their own kidneys up, or like passing out from um, from caffeine overdose, or you know, I mean, a guy actually killed himself from you know yeah. 
continuous uh, uh, StarCraft in lieu of peeing, I believe is the medical term. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot that that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's what they have. What is the word that they have for the internet cafes over there that you just said? Pichibong. Pichibong. Okay, okay. Yeah, because those are a huge part of the culture, right? The people go there and they play the game there. It's a huge uh, and it's part of the, social the culture that I know about. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm sure they also have literature and arts, but yeah, 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 most yeah, yeah, of what yeah. I know is like, you know, octopus, uh, fried octopus chips and, and StarCraft. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's this idea out there that's exemplified by things like Megamind and the Incredible Hulk uh, versus the leader, which is not really the storyline that makes the Incredible Hulk good, but whatever, it's out there. That like brain and brawn are opposite ends of a continuum, right? And there's sort of, and sort of like, like it's like people are made by a Dungeons and Dragons character generator, where like you have like X number of points to distribute, and like one of them <laughs> X needs to go to strength, like, and and every single player plays somebody who is like incredibly socially awkward because you want to give that like three charisma to him so that you can I'm, be. I'm sorry, Peter. I'm just assuming that, like, you know, after you die, you go up to heaven and you meet your maker, and he's got a little sheet, like, that he's made yeah. out for you. With, like, <laughs> like a crude crayon drawing yeah. of what you would be like building a double-headed axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, my parents told me everybody has their talents, and, and some people are gifted in some things, and some people are gifted in other things. And, I mean, I think that that's a nice philosophy to have, but I don't think that it's necessarily always the case that it's a zero-sum game across, like, various uh, attributes and talents and skills. Well, it becomes sort of de facto true in that, you know, the true Renaissance men and women um, are are rare. Um, yeah. They're hard to find. And the reason why is that to truly become good at something, you kind of have to focus on it. There are only so many hours in the day. That's right? true. I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure like Tiger Woods could also be an incredible poet, but like his poetry would almost certainly have to come at the expense of his golf game. Right, 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 right. I mean, but yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a sloppy mess just because he's a yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like the guy can you know, string a sentence yeah. together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Matt, are you still there? Yeah, no, I'm still here. I, <laughs> look, I know better to, than to, to than to talk when the real interesting people are on the podcast. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, so I just wanted to toss that out there. Oh, and also I was, the other thing I wanted to say is that Dave, that Renaissance men, you have it easy because all you have to do to be a Renaissance man is be able to draw a helicopter, and all of a sudden it's like, oh man, you're awesome. You drew a helicopter. Or right like, with your right with you your have to uh, make a helicopter. You just or, have to draw one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right with your right and left hand simultaneously, or something. Like you have to be a lot better at things now than they had to be in the Renaissance to get credit. That's good. I guess like in order to really be a Renaissance man, you just had to not die of the plague by age 13 <laughs> and that's required a variety of skills you know but uh yeah yeah like you know not plague dyingness yeah um, well it's okay <laughs> you, so you, matt, need have, you need to have a saving throw against plague is basically it so so matt this is, a, this is i'm going to pause this to matt because matt is in a line of work where there's a lot of intellectual work that's being done i mean you're studying for it in a school in a graduate program right am i allowed to talk about that or yeah no that's fine we we okay, know so we know what yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm not yeah. you know a lot of our our writers are extremely uptight about revealing what they do for a living and where, and yeah. uh, it, 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 to the point where where a lot of them only want to go by their last names. Um, though we've said everyone's full name on the podcast, uh, and I don't understand this. But I mean people people seem to think that that what we do is a professional liability. But I, I you know all the academic all the Blinky academics and, and like belong to, a, belong to an international league of assassins. Right? It's, so well, that's that's, kinda, that's true. But all the, I'm, a, I'm actually for in my company policy from talking about the stuff that I do. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. But yeah. we know, you know, we know that you work at a corporation that is large enough right. that it would have such a company policy. Right, right, right. Sure, sure, Exactly which one? By which I mean GameStop. The TJ Maxx empire, which stretches all the way from the male socks to the female Big socks on the, on the other wall. I was going to say Wizards of the Coast. As the, oh, that yeah. would be great. No, but no, I did not win the great designer search too. No, so no thank you. No, um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I am not like that. I am Matthew Rather. If you Google me, you'll see me. You'll see my website, MatthewRather.com, with a picture of me. And I am, uh, you know, aside from being the impresario of overthinkingit.com. Uh, I'm a uh, graduate student in the MFA acting program at University of California, Los Angeles. And, yeah. um, and so as, as part of that, it's, you know, it's funny. I go straight from a Jeet Kune Do uh, class where we do, you know, serious physical conditioning and, and some martial arts uh, to, um, 
to a theater history class taught by a, a really great scholar of uh, Renaissance drama called David Rhodes. The class is called Infinite Ways to Kill, and it's about revenge tragedy. Anyway, so um, I mean, <laughs> so wait, so you take a Jeet Kune Do class, and then you take a class called Infinite Ways to Kill. <laughs> yes. The Jeet Kune Do class is called The Ways to Kill that were sanctioned by Bruce Lee. Yes. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's got finite ways to kill. Yeah, yeah, finite ways to kill. And then, yeah, honestly, we're going to give you a large but bounded set of ways to kill. <laughs> <laughs> it's an extremely yes, absolutely. The the it way is, of the it is, intercepting it is a countable way of killing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's irrational, but it's notice countable. this is the same course that was taught last year. Last year it was called uh, Love and Tragedy in Commedia dell'arte. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had a breakup, looks like, when they were writing their syllabus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's but more anyway, but I, was, I was bringing it up because there's an example of a discipline. And, and the thing that I always think of, Matt, uh, when I'm thinking about this particular craft, right, at being a performer myself, which I can't talk about, uh, I think about the chapter in Actor Prepares, which is like one of the first things he talks about is uh, how everybody needs to get in shape. Right. Is that if you want to be like, it's this big treatise on how to be an actor in like in the bull, you know, the Bolshoi theater of Russia in like the turn of the Moscow, century. Moscow, Moscow Mos- art theater. Moscow, sorry, Moscow art theater. The Bolshoi theater is a dance theater. It's a apologies. dance theater, but the Moscow yeah. art theater was the theater that Stanislavski taught at. Yeah. And when you wrote this thing, this was the beginning sort of a, of what we think of as being conservatory training, which has, you know, sort of intense physical conditioning, fencing, uh, the study of history, you know, and, and things like this. And this is, this is, uh, sort of all all really important to being a uh, to being a sort of classical uh, actor or a practitioner of of classical acting um, there are fewer and fewer of those and they make less and less money so you know you could argue that that all of this is is useless but this is a uh, you know this is a sort of ideal i guess uh, yeah that you know you have a sound mind and a sound body and the the artists are um, are ready to go. It's, you know, it's in being an actor and I'm an actor, singer, dancer also. So it's, you know, your body has to be in a triple uh, threat. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's an actor, singer, dancer, taser. He's a quadruple quadruple threat. Um, web designer, but uh, yeah, absolutely. That that these, I mean, it would be better to plot these things on orthogonal axes rather than to, um, uh, you know, than to put them uh, uh, on opposite ends of a continuum. And yeah. it, you know, it's funny. The smart people seem to be the ones who are. Uh, these days, with all this, uh, you know, obesity stuff, the smart people, well, the rich people anyway, seem to be the, the ones who are uh, in good shape. Yeah, I know. I guess we also need – I need to couch this, of course, because, uh, I mean, I know I personally in the past have been – dangerously overweight and uh and it took me a while to sort of figure out how to take care of myself after 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 getting out of college and i, I want to say that if there are people in our in our readership or listenership who themselves are, are like you know maybe not in great physical condition uh, i don't want to disparage them personally uh this certainly doesn't make you less smart if you're not in 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 a physical shape or you don't like exercising or what do you like what do you hit personally in that sentence do you want to disparage them collectively uh well I, you know hate the sinner not the, I hate the sin not the sinner i guess is what i mean <laughs> no, I, I guess I want to I want to reserve the ability to say that like maybe you can get smarter if you also you know do the corpus sanum mens sanum thing. Like I don't want to say that that I don't want to sort of give up all judgment in the matter. Like like I'm not a I'm not a fan at all. Being somebody who was previously obese, like I am I am not a fan at all of uh, like like the sort of fat empowerment movement. Um, this this idea that like the yeah, real let's, uh, right, let's talk about that and and that the thing that we do to a major theme on uh, of of hung this past season as well right oh really I didn't see hung although I think I have nope. a friend who writes for it but yeah yeah um, which I think I should watch it <laughs> you're a great friend Pete <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I'm a jerk I'm sorry <laughs> yeah yeah no no the, the sort of the lead character Pete, many many of us write in a website called overthinking it do you read that. Uh, <laughs> sporadically. Uh, I'm sorry, but is it? Is, do they link to it from CNN.com? That's where I get my news. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what we call the bad thing that we, you know, that we sort of people closer to our scientifically determined ideal weight do is called fat shaming, right? Right, right, right. Now, of course, you don't necessarily want to do that. You don't want to make somebody feel bad. Wait, that, that's it, that's that's when you scrunch the rolls of your fat to look like a face and have no. them have it like say your mama jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. 
No, that's. <laughs> I think the modifier is a little bit. It's not the shaming by means of fat. <laughs> oh yeah, wait, wait, where's where's the hyphen? The hyphen is critical. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. No, no, I think that it's tricky because I think that this connects to the mega mind thing, right? Like this idea that you have to be one or the other, right? And yeah. that and that you're and that there's a goodness or a badness that is runs either directly or inverse, inversely proportional to your level of physical conditioning, right? Like that either the more in shape you are, the better you are, or like the more in shape you are, the worse you are. Well, let me make a, let me make a, um, uh, an unpopular argument here that's going to get me hate mail. I, I would okay. say that there is a kind of moral badness uh, that obtains uh, with a person who is obese because that person is going to consume disproportionately uh, public services that my tax dollars fund. And right, uh, right. so that that person is, uh, do, is through their, you know, continuing in this lifestyle. And I, I don't mean people who are... I don't mean people who have like glandular problems or something like this. I, I don't mean people who are are you know big bones, extra <laughs> big bones who are extra heavy. Uh, I mean, I mean people who have the option of uh, <laughs> not being double uh, XL uh, and through whatever combination of willpower or choice or you know fat empowerment or something like this don't. Well, you know uh, that person is doing something that is materially detrimental to me. To me, this is. This is I mean, so. It's interesting that you went the population uh, population genetics argument on it, um, which is you know a, as like you know the world population increases and our supply of food decreases, then eventually this will be a difficult thing like for humanity on mass. Um, right, the Malthusian thing. The Mal- yeah, exactly, the Mal- exactly. Yeah. The you know, protein stricture. Um, you yeah. know, if you if you if you're interested, you know, listeners, I should check out um, a wonderful little scientific treatise on this called Soylent Green. <laughs> I would thought you were going to say a modest, the modest proposal. For, for okay, us. yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I mean, if you deconstruct them, they're the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, no. I, the problem here, like from a molecular biologist standpoint, I say this that uh, my wife actually works now um, on on obesity and obesity related diseases, their molecular causes, the sort of things that happen on both like a cellular level and an organismic level. You know, genetic determinants, things like this. Um, that it, you know, is, there, is that a real word in uh, in the biology? Organismic? What? No, no, I, I misspoke. <laughs> <laughs> he meant orgasmic. Orgasmic. <laughs> or, it's organismal, but in sort of like an eighties roller skating rollerama. Of, you know. I thought you uh, meant that she worked on Hagen Dazs ice cream, which is orgasmic. That, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it's her research is a totally herbal experience. Exactly. Um, Pete, did you just try and decide whether or not to kill us with a coin toss? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you could hear that all the and way. And how did we fare? It's better than oh, you've you have passed. Excellent. Continue. No, I was going to say that. Um, uh, first of all, the data are, are very murky. Um, you know, when you're looking at data derived from humans, it's it's a lot of sort of population genetics and, and correlative studies. When you're looking at data derived from you know, say mice or rats. Um, it's hard to interpret things like, you know, willpower and intent. Um, but it's sort of clear that, like, there are either a subset of individuals or uh, in their critical period in every individual's life where, you know, things like whether or not to become obese are to a certain extent under their control. But then after you've passed by a certain threshold, it certainly seems like the majority of people have sort of entered into a state where it's physiologically impossible for them to, to you know, to leave the obese state, um, without very dramatic measures. Right. So, like, you know, it, it, it's mean, difficult to argue. Do you argue. mean medi- by dramatic med- measures, do you mean medical intervention, or do you mean... Um... Running a couple of laps. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean like a lap monologue. He was like, Papa, Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a dramatic uh, measure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, the sort of, like, you know, putting a, a, a rubber band cuff around, uh, you know, the end of, of your esophagus to like limit the amount of food that goes in your stomach or, or flat out like you know cutting out part of your stomach entirely or yeah. or go or like what I did which is going like a crazy intense super intense highly regulated diet for like a very yeah long yeah time. you you yeah. took a lot of methamphetamines um, <laughs> and it made you, it made you a lot more a lot more creative um, oh thank yeah yeah man I'm so excited I'm so excited <laughs> I'm so scared. Um, um, no, I like eat oatmeal and sardines for like a year, basically, and that was pretty much in cottage cheese, and I didn't drink and all that other stuff. Yeah, it was like um, living with Christian Bale. It was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> not this Christian Bale. <laughs> Dave, we need to run the dishwasher. 
I'm sorry. Uh, that was my Christian Bale Batman impression, um, which, you know, there you go. Perfect. I was going to say, that, that is the worst Newsies impression I have ever heard. <laughs> Second hey, worst, back. actually. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, no, it, I, it guess, I guess I'm saying, like, like, from Matt's standpoint, like, like there's definitely I, I completely agree. I kind of made that I kind of made that argument to to play devil's advocate. I mean, I understand yeah, a sure. lot of the dynamics. I read an interesting book called um, "The End of Overeating" uh, recently because um, I, I was interested in some of this research that shows that like uh, food intake, especially this highly engineered, um, you know, optimal balance of fat, salt, and sugar food that we get from our you know food industry now, uh, messes with the uh, the mesolimbic dopamine pathways in a yeah. way that is similar to drugs of addiction. And, um, well, that's right. And, and there, there's some very uh, – the last that I read in depth about this, there were some very strong evolutionary arguments as to why that would be. Sure. Sorry, go I on. Mean, go. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it, that um, in, a, in a time of feast or famine that you really you – really, uh, you know, fat up when when you can, and that actually it it extends now to things to external cues in the environment, like some of these engineered smells. Like if you if you um, walk through a mall and you think, oh, I'd like a Cinnabon, that's because uh. you know Cinnabon has paid <laughs> to pipe the scent of Cinnabon into the thing. Yeah. Or you know, you see like I can't see the little green circle with the mermaid in it without you know buying a four dollar coffee. Yeah. Right, right. And I, so, like, uh, uh, I, sorry, I thought you were going to get some chicken of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious tuna. <laughs> then that problem will that problem will solve itself over time. Don't worry about that. There won't be any tuna left. But, <laughs> but um, delicious tuna. I'm eating all of you. But there will be. But as as the uh, you know mean temperature of the Earth gradually increases, there will be more and more coffee because there will be more yeah. regions capable <laughs> of producing it. Assuming you can grow it hydroponically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so that this is. I mean, there is this now extremely sophisticated system, which is which is you know intentionally engineered by powerful economic interests to you know to get us fat and that so the idea the idea that it's all a matter of personal responsibility is not well, but that's uh, that's yeah that, that's that's both true and not true right like the end result is that it makes us <laughs> so it has a truth value of 0.5 that, that's right that's right <laughs> we've entered into a gurdelian state Wait, here <laughs> have you observed it yet i feel like it might be in the box with the cat where did i put oh, that freaking don't bring box a physics argument into a math problem <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we have a little thing in the academy oh, called. Sorry, sorry, the cat was killed by a poison capsule that I put in the box. <laughs> For no the reason. Cat, Why did I put the, the poison capsule in the box? The cat. The cat was killed by a divide by zero error. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Now, the, so I mean, the corporation's goal is not to make you fat. Making you fat is sort of a, a you know side product of their actual goal, which is just to make as much money off of you as they possibly can. Well, sure. Okay. It's, fair. It's fair enough. But it's more definitely. Yeah, no, uh, well, right. But if you if you were consi- if for some reason if they could make um, like an incredibly delicious you know salad um, that everyone just wanted to eat all the time, and <laughs> now you're had, just you being know, silly. <laughs> if they wanted had, you to know, do that, <laughs> uh, had like no adverse you know health effects, like you know, there's still like the psychological issues at play here, and the argument of like like mass consumer mind control, Dave. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Dave, if a company wanted to make something delicious that made you feel great and didn't make you fat, they'd be in pharmaceuticals. It wouldn't be a food services company. So you can find my CV at. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, right? Like corporations aren't inherently evil; they're inherently amoral. Right? They, they, they're they're beyond morality. They they exist solely for the purpose of producing more money for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, that depends on what sort of sort of moral schema you look at. Because I mean, it, it, you definitely, if you don't make decisions based on morality, I mean, if you have a framework where you judge the morality of a person uh, by the sort of collective and aggregated, uh, or even not even aggregated, or just the total. Uh, of their decisions and, and their actions, then that's a form of morality, and you could find them to be somewhat neutral in their intention. Uh, but but uh, to step down a, to step down a level, if you considered like a virtue ethic, perhaps, then to not have a presence of moderation in the pursuit of certain virtues would indeed to be like a negative moral good, right? Like, uh, I, I think the, the big the big distinguishing point for me is is intent versus action, right? Like, do we take yeah, yeah. do we take their intent into play? And if so, you know. Yeah. Then yeah, then we have to judge them as amoral. 
Yeah. Well, actually, and it occurs to me through this whole conversation how easily and quickly we default from talking about somebody being like not in physical shape to talking about them being obese because it's such a huge deal in our society, right? In our, in our, in our, not even in our culture or society, but in our population. Right, and yeah. the population of any group of people that becomes, uh, you know, dependent upon the industrial food complex eventually gets the Western metabolic uh, problems and and, and moss, and that's a that's a food and a public health problem for large groups of people. But it occurs to me where we started this conversation with Mega Mind and with the leader, the people who are put forth as not being physical ideals are generally skinny, which is interesting. Now with the leader, it's oh, kind I was going to go with presbymyopic. What does that mean? Uh, it's like, you know, a common eye disease. You, you just, uh, you can't focus your eyes. Well, you need glasses. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, like, you know, how, we should really be turning our eye against people who read too much in low light. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but it's it's interesting. I think it's an old fashioned thing. I think that, you know, the, the leader being, I mean, if they remade the leader now, he might be fat. Um, but back then he was skinny. Um, he'd basically be like comic book guy from the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, back when people read. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but anyway, I mean, I think so. Okay, so sort of recap and to get back to what we're talking about. Not to get back to what we're talking about, but sort of ground it again. So we've we've fleshed out some of the territory around the idea of like fault, right, and like responsibility, and also like uh, ability personally and individually, and also as a group to affect change in your in your physical well being. And of course, that being a complex situation that doesn't exist on a simple continuum uh, between good and bad. Uh, but has many different factors in play, which in turn uh, seems not to be reflected very often in our archetypes and in our stock characters, right? Like, uh, like, like our stock characters are part of how we uh, articulate our belief systems and articulate the way that we see each other, right? So they're the, the act of sort of reducing the notion of, of recognizing a person and the signification of another human being. We boil that down to stock characters. Now, actually, let me put this yeah, out yeah. there. I mean, that, yeah. this, is, this is largely because a stock character isn't often meant to be a, a real character, right? They're, they're, they're meant to stand um, as icon for certain you know, philosophical norms, but aren't you know, they're not meant to be a fully fleshed, real human being in the way that you might encounter someone in your actual life. Yeah. Now, I'll say this. I'll put this out there. I know we've gotten a lot of very good press for being uh, advocates for uh, this idea that stock characters are, are, are inadequate. But I will put out there that the notion that you're going to fully realize a human being in a, in a performing arts or a fine arts situation or as some sort of depiction or reflection, that in and of itself it seems like a degree of folly. Right, and it is not necessarily a given that that the characters in a particular work of art are are meant to be reflections of reality, uh, that are reproductions of reality on the same level of reality. I I, I say that stock characters are not always bad. Uh, in fact, I'm going to say most of the time, stock characters are not bad. Stock characters are important to how we tell stories, and they are important to how uh, certain kinds of genres function. And more than that, even uh, I mean, there were there have been stock characters across. To a greater degree than there have been these fleshed out realistic characters that we say that we all aspire to their being. There, you know, hey, like, does you're, that make you're sense? Saying, you're saying regardless of, of the degree of effort and skill in which um, the creators of art, um, you know, craft their art, uh, ultimately, ceci n'est pas une strong female woman, right? It, it's it's always going to be an. What is that part. crazy moon language that you're talking there, Dave? I don't understand. That, I think it's called Spanish. <laughs> Oh, um, <laughs> caliente! <laughs> Sorry, I have a degree. Um, strong, strong female woman, Dave. Yeah, uh, God. <laughs> Look, a strong female woman is a type of um, of organismic thing that. Uh, <laughs> did not come here to have my grammar harangued. I came here to fight off against a giant behemoth. Um, so using I'll my say this. intellect. I can and, say this. We can yeah, take. We can take the stock characters that we have and we can say, here are the ways in which we shortchange people or look down on people or insult people or make them feel bad about themselves. Or we could take the stock characters that we have and say, this is what we think about people. These are ways that we consider people without making an immediate value judgment about whether or not – about a stock character in particular being a bad or a good thing. Yeah, right. Just, just um, because you know, a lot of a lot of stories happen to use like the tale of 
you know, a virgin birth that produces some sort of demigod that leads people around performing miracles and dies for their sins. Yeah, like Falcor the Luck Dragon. Exactly, yeah. Or, or, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that's absolutely right. <laughs> I was going to go with Wally, but okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> right on my back, Turbo Teen. <laughs> um, wow, that'd be crazy if Turbo Teen were on the back of Falcor and then he turned into a car and people got into him. It's like and an people, it's like ne- nesting doll. I'd rather scoff when I said you were on methamphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a lot of traveling this week, so I performed in the Philadelphia Improv Festival, which was a lot of fun. So big ups to those peoples. None as of well. this is true. Um, people. It's none of this is true. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm saying is that. Uh, if we step back from a moment from condemning stock characters, we can l- look at the stock characters and learn about some of the ways in which we think about people. And if there are gaps in our stock character vocabulary that upset us, then we could consider not just, oh, maybe we should make a naturalistic parlor drama about them starring Colin Firth. Like maybe we should come up with new stock characters <laughs> that reflect these ways that we are considering people, right? So like how would you consider a character who is both sort of like – you know, deviously smart and also in very good shape. Like Lex Luthor is kind of like that, right? Like we were talking earlier on about how Lex Luthor and Megamind uh, and the leader, like where they fit in the associations with one another. But in like the Justice League shows and in Smallville, right, Lex Luthor is is generally like an able-bodied human being and not like a like a a, a sort of caricature of impotence, um, or like a fishbowl head guy, like the like guys. Spider-Man villain, a Mysterio, but no, um, but yeah, but I mean, I guess that's one way of putting it. But he also has that association with business. That's interesting. Wherein stock characters who are both smart and physically strong are often depicted as being involved in private industry, right? Um, or involved in, I guess, maybe large institutions and government institutions as well. Um, whereas, whereas I think in other kinds of ways of storytelling, sometimes there's people who are you divide it up. I don't know. I, I feel like we've we've talked we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and uh, I, I want to hear more about what Matt has to say about this stuff because I've talked over him the whole freaking time. No, you haven't. I've I've been gladly uh, I've been gladly sitting back. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I guess we, <laughs> we we did definitely go off on that tangent about about obesity and taking care of yourself and all that other stuff. And maybe we should close that out rather than trying to solve the mega mind problem today. About how I how, yeah. about how I run five miles every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, I just want to append a previous statement that I made, um, and that uh, so Conan O'Brien, if you could just like thirty minutes of aerobic exercise every other day <laughs> is enough, really, just to keep you know your and cardio Conan, you strength don't even, up. You don't even have to go to the gym if you'd play basketball yeah. with some friends or something like that. You yeah, know honestly, I mean? just like put in one of those. Thing. Yeah, get a reinforced bar in your closet. Just you know, do some pull-ups. Do, go, go Gattaca style on it. The important thing is to get the heart rate up and to keep it up for a, you uh-huh. know what I mean for a period of time. And you uh, guys are you know, getting my heart rate up and getting keeping it up for a prolonged period of time. You always oh, you can do. see the video feed, huh? Thump <laughs> <laughs> thump. Thump, 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 thump. No, I don't mean to interrupt. It, it, these are all good advice. This is all good advice for Conan O'Brien. For Conan O'Brien. <laughs> I feel like we've accomplished what we came here to do, which is which help Conan O'Brien start his show in, off in good stead. Excellent. And, uh, and, and Conan, you know, I mean, some dentists argue the the vertical brushing technique. Some go horizontal. <laughs> it's it's a murky field. Uh, you know, choose your own path, um, but floss. Look, Conan, the, it's only about thirty percent of women who can do that anyway. So you really shouldn't be agonizing over it. All right, it's the kind of thing where as long as you guys take care of each other and have communication, then it'll be all right. Uh, you're talking about like, you're talking about make a souffle. I'm talking about people who do organismic uh, scientific studies. That's great. You mean female women who do organismic science? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, grammar. <laughs> fie on yeah. you, grammar. Fie, fie, fie. It's a conservation of grammar. I, I correctly applied the gerund earlier, and now, you know, now it's just redundant noun clauses. It's terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, would, I guess I would just uh, say that I wonder whether this uh, continuum on which Mega Man and Metro, Mega Mind and Metro Man fall is a relic. I mean, does it feel old fashioned? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm kind of sad. I think we're sort of whining out of time, but, um, yeah. but there's, there's definitely something to be said about like, the, the eras in which these, these um, icons are being made. Yeah. Um, what the stock characters are meant uh, to sort of portray in the very abstract sense based upon who's portraying it and when. Uh, the whole thing about you know, being smart and athletic makes you a titan of industry is basically you – know, it's a little emblem of like the American ideal wrapped up in one, right? I mean think about the number of, um, of like uh, 
academians at any level from like high school teacher up to, you know, college professor that are portrayed um, in a really positive light in comics. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that, you know, and and he, he had to be based on a real character, a professor yeah, from that's true. prestigious yeah. Yale University. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. But I mean, you know, so Spider-Man's a high school teacher. And yeah, that's the thing. Professor Xavier is a professor, but I always saw that as more in the way that like Dr. Dre is a doctor, <laughs> <laughs> which, which so, is yeah. say, it's a fully accredited professor. So I guess um, I'll retract that there are a lot of characters who are both smart and athletic and are in a lot of other kinds of fields, I suppose, well, as well. Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, I think, you know, back in the 60s, the majority of like scientists who are scientific characters who are portrayed in comic books are mostly um, in the origin stories. It's like a science accident that happens. I guess the Flash, certain versions of the Flash are either like a, a physician or like a basic research chemist, something yeah. like that. But that has less, I think that has less to do with the, uh, any kind of moral idea of what science is and whether it's good or bad or whether we should or shouldn't be doing certain kind of kinds of things with science and more just uh, how to do. Our, our paradigm of uh, you know what does great things in the world, right? Yeah. A thousand years ago, those stories would be about God granting superpowers to people, right. and in fact, you know if you read the lives of the saints or something like that, they are superheroes. They're about yeah. uh, my my favorite is the the saint who uh, oh I can't remember the name of the saint, but whenever he wanted to mortify the flesh, he would jump in the freezing waters of of Alaska or of you know I don't know Northern Europe or something like that, and uh, God so loved this this man that the otters would come and swim around him and, uh, you know, so vigorously <laughs> rub their amazing. bodies against him that he was warmed in the, uh, in the water uh, because God <laughs> loved him so. Talk about, uh, talk about that, organismic. You're, you're, uh, yeah. you're right. You're right, Matt. That really, truly is exactly like a superhero. Is that called? Is that called fratrage? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have advice for Conan O'Brien? Do you have anything? <laughs> Perhaps involving otters. Yeah. Uh, anything otter related that you want to say? Uh, do you want to weigh in on the continuum between brains versus brawn and superheroes uh, on uh, obesity and fat shaming, on fat empowerment, on... Uh... Should they be or not? <laughs> hey, come on. Be nice. Be nice. Um, uh, on the, uh, the finitude or infinitude of, of ways to kill. Uh, <laughs> give us a call at 20, uh, 20 fat jog zero one. It's two zero three two eight five six four zero one or email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. And for more of this ridiculousness, visit us on the web during the week at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. You know, I think we need to do less fat shaming and more Schechner shaming. Yes. No, wait, no, that's bad. I don't want that. Oh, God, too late. You said yes. Oh. No, no. I'm so shamed. <laughs>